All right, so I changed up. I changed up what I'm going to say a little bit. It was kind of cool. I'll tell you about it here in a minute. I changed up the second half of what I'm going to preach about today because God, God kind of spoke to me unexpectedly. So bear with me if the last part doesn't seem really well put together. <laughs> but today I want to talk to you about greatness. And we've talked about greatness before. And we talked about, I don't know, I guess it's been a couple of months ago where I preached a whole message about the greatness that's inside of you. And that God has placed greatness on the inside of each one of us. Um, but I want to look at it a little bit different today. Um, so just to start out, think about in your mind, what is greatness? When you think about greatness in another human or in yourself, what, what is greatness to you? Do you know that you can become the servant of greatness? Or you can have greatness serve you. I'm going to show you how. I can tell you how, but I should probably mention up front that if you want to see greatness, if you want to look like Jesus, if you want to see the greatness that's inside of you, realized if, if you want to be all that you're called to be, if you want to make great impact on the world around you, then you're going to have to choose not to be offended. Like that's going to stop you. And I see it stop so many people in the church world and in the Christian world and in the just our world in general. It seems like as more time goes on, more people are offended. Offended with each other, offended with their kids, offended with the server, offended with the, like. And it stops you from being who God's called you to be. You know, if I'm offended with you, it it's probably not going to hurt you that bad. It's actually hurting me the worst. It becomes a poison. It becomes unforgiveness and bitterness in my heart, in me. It starts to affect my relationships. It starts to affect how I treat my kids. It, it starts to hurt me. It's a choice. Pastor Bruce says, uh, being offended is a choice. I choose not to be offended. You can't offend me. Say whatever you want. I tried a couple times. It's true. No. <laughs> you can't. Now, he said sometimes his wife, Rhonda, will go on long enough, and he looks at her and says, I'm about to choose to be offended with you. <laughs> but it's a choice. And I think a lot of times, if we just remind ourselves of that, that just like love is a choice, being offended is a choice. You can choose whether you're going to be offended. You can choose whether you're going to love. It's real hard to do both. Because if you're choosing to love, you remember that scripture that says that it's telling us what love is, and it says love keeps no record of wrongs. Well, it's hard to be offended if you ain't keeping records of what they did wrong. And how are you going to be offended? Oh, because you were choosing love. So it's real hard to choose offense if you're choosing love. Unless you're picking and choosing who you're going to love and who you're not. So why are you offended? Because he's an idiot. I know. <laughs> 
So let me ask you a question. You think being offended and talking about it to people that have no power to fix the situation, hashtag gossip, will call him to a higher level? You think it's going to fix the situation? No, it, it doesn't help. You think being offended will bring hope, light, or transformation into the situation? Because, yeah, as Christians, that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to bring hope, light. We're supposed to see lives transformed, and that ain't doing it. There's no transformation in that. See, gossip causes us to take on the offenses of other people. If I sit here and tell you how I'm real offended, like that Chuck offended me, and I can't believe he did such horrible things that he offended me, and then I stand here and tell Bo and Dylan and Miss Kathy and everybody, and then you know what I'm doing? I'm getting y'all to pick up my offense. He didn't do anything to y'all. Well, he didn't really do anything to me either. I was just using him as an example. He hasn't offended me. I had to pick somebody that hadn't, so... It's hard to find somebody. Oh, God. <laughs> no. no but, but all I'm doing when I'm gossiping, it's like I'm trying to get people on my team and agree with me. And, and it's going against everything that Jesus taught us. And it's stopping us from being the people that we're called to be. And then you're picking up my offenses. So now, not only am I sinning by choosing offense, but I'm calling you into my sin with me. And I'm causing you to sin. I'm saying here, I got unforgiveness that I'm going to let turn into bitterness, so I want you to taste a little bit of my poison. Here, have some of this bitterness. Let's share it around. It's a bad look. It's a bunch of snowflakes. Snowflake, y'all know what that is, right? The definition of it is, it means you're too easily offended or upset. You don't know. There's a snowflake generation out there. The problem is that lots of Christians are so easily offended that we weaken our impact and we block the supernatural in our lives. And then we wonder, why am I not happy? Why is God not moving? Why do I not see the supernatural? Why do I not? But it could be because of an offense. Here's how to know if this is for you. Ready? You know, sometimes maybe this message isn't for you. Here's how to know if this message is for you. If at any time while I've been talking, you've been thinking about who needs to hear this. Boy, I hope so-and-so's listening to this. I hope she's hearing them. Oh, they better be tuning in live. Then guess what? That means it's for you. Who? You. You know, I think I've missed God so many times in my life. And now that I'm getting to this old and mature age of almost 40, I've realized how many times I've missed God when God was trying to speak to me, thinking about how it applies to somebody else's life. When God's trying to do something in my heart, but instead I'm sitting here thinking about how somebody else needs to hear it and how it could benefit them or how, you know. And God's like, hello, I'm trying to talk to you. 
So if you thought that any time throughout this first part about how somebody else needs to hear it, maybe they do, but you do too. A mature person, a mature person knows that they got problems too, right? I want advice. I want counsel. I want to grow. I want, it's not just about everybody else fixing themselves. So last week, the Easter message, if you didn't hear it, it was kind of a different Easter message, but uh, you can go back and hear it. But remember, we talked about being stuck in the middle and how a lot of times it's uncomfortable to be stuck in the middle, but that Jesus was stuck in the middle. He was stuck in the middle of two thieves on that cross and he came off and now he's in the middle of us and God. And that, that's where we're called to be is in the middle. So every time you pick a side, you divide. Like there are two sides to every story, and we can say, Oh, I'm gonna I'm gonna stand for this or I'm gonna stand for that. But we're called to be in the middle. Sometimes you think you're leading and you're not. You're leaving. So you were never commanded in the Bible, to be offended. I can't find a command in there that tells you that. Like, be ye offended, and it will help him grow and teach her a lesson. That's not a verse. There's not one, but we think that. I'll show him. (laughs) Not in the Bible. You were commanded to love by Jesus. Even your enemies. He said, yeah, even the enemies. Even the ones that tried to hurt you on purpose. Jesus said, love them too. I want you to choose to love them. You were also commanded to forgive. Even Peter tried to get rubbed high. Well, how many times? Jesus said, how about 70 times 7 in one day? <clears throat> we done offended me 70 times 7 times today. Jesus said, forgive him again. Keep on. Love keeps no record of wrongs. Nowhere in the Bible does it say, blessed are the offended. But it says, blessed are all different other stuff. And and Jesus even says, blessed is he who is not offended in me. Oh, I've heard a lot of people that are offended with God. Offended with Jesus. They don't know why this happened or why that happened or why this situation turned out like that or why things happened. And we get offended with God whether we want to admit it or not. We get offended with Jesus. That's When Jesus said that, he was talking about John the Baptist who was walking in ministry and preparing the way. And then John, he got thrown in jail and a lot of real bad stuff happened to him. Right before he got his head cut off, he sent some of his disciples to go ask Jesus, Hey, is it really you? Like, did we miss it? I'm kind of losing my faith. I don't know if I even believe in this whole thing anymore. Like, are you even the Messiah? That's at the time when Jesus said, Hey, blessed is he who's not offended in me. What does that tell us? Choose not to be offended when things don't turn out like you thought they should. 
Choose not to be offended when you are wrongfully accused. Choose not to be offended even if you're thrown in prison. Even if like things did not turn out like John thought. It was bad. And it was about to get worse. It's not like it's not like that great story where there's this happily ever after. No, John's about to get his head chopped off, and then he does. And Jesus doesn't bring him back. And Jesus said right there, blessed is he who's not offended with me. Don't be offended with God because it will stop you. It will keep you from being who you're called to be. All right, let's look at, um, I'm going to look at a couple of different stories here. In Mark 6, verse 1. Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. Yeah, you're headed back home. You'll be received well at home in your hometown. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many who heard him were amazed. Wow. Jesus went into their church, into the synagogue. And he grabbed the scroll, and he stood up and preached. And he took the scroll of Isaiah. And Isaiah has more messianic prophecy in it than any other Old Testament book. He, Isaiah prophesied about the Messiah and the coming of Jesus. And, and so for Jesus, we know that Jesus had to learn who he was. So as a boy, he had probably sat in that synagogue. This was in his hometown at his hometown church and synagogue, like he had sat in there and listened to the rabbis stand up and read the scroll of Isaiah. And I don't know at what point he realized those prophecies are about me. That's me they're reading about. But at this time, Jesus stood up and he's like, hey, give me the Isaiah scroll. And he starts to read about himself. And, and what would happen to him and who he was. And when the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? That he even does miracles. Isn't this the carpenter? What is he talking about? How did he get that much wisdom? How, how did he learn that? Isn't that that old construction worker? I thought that was the garbage man. What's he doing? Isn't this Mary's son? So we don't think that much about it. We're just thinking they're saying, like, isn't that Jesus, the boy down the road? But where Mark recorded here that they said, isn't this Mary's son? So if you go look look into any of the scholars and they'll all agree and let you know that this was an insult for multiple different reasons. Isn't that Mary's son? Because back in their day, they had some messed up thinking where women were concerned and they thought of they, you would never call somebody by their mother's name. You would have said, he's Joseph's son. They would be identified by their father's name or by where they're from, Jesus of Nazareth. You could have identified him in that way. So in that way, 
it was like an insult, but what they were doing was calling him illegitimate. Because Mary said that God was his father, it was, most people agree that that was a way of making fun of him. Because we all know you're not Joseph's boy. Now nah, your mama ran around and Joseph decided to be good and take you in, but you're Mary's boy. You're Mary's kid. They're throwing insults at Jesus. He stood up to preach, and at first they were amazed, and they said, whoa, where'd he get this wisdom? And then all of a sudden, they realized, nah, we know this dude. They were familiar with him. They were familiar with his family. They knew the things that they thought they knew what was done wrong in the family. They knew the gossip. They knew the drama of the family. They knew we saw him grow up. Man, we know, it, that's the carpenter. Man, he builds little tables. That's Mary's boy. <laughs> yeah, Mary's boy. <laughs> I don't know, who's his daddy? I don't know. <laughs> it was an insult. Isn't that Mary's boy? Mary's son and the brother of James and Joseph, Judas and Simon. Aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So it went from them being amazed to them throwing insults and kind of normalizing Jesus and insulting him. And now they're offended. Now they're upset. They're offended at Jesus. And Jesus said unto them, only in his hometown, among his relatives, and in his own house is a prophet without honor. That he didn't honor him. And he could not do any miracles there. Because of their offense, they blocked the supernatural. The Son of God. That it says he could not do any miracles there except lay hands on a few sick people and heal them. Oh, is that it? Uh-uh. Wow. But Jesus couldn't do all that he wanted to do because he was not honored or received. And he, Jesus, was amazed at their lack of faith. Jesus was amazed at their lack of trust and belief and faith. So, are you amazing, Jesus? I mean, wait, Jesus, is my sin amazing? No. What he did doesn't amaze you? What, what she said or what she didn't? No. No. Does my greatness amaze you, Jesus? No. In fact, in all of the New Testament, I can only find two places where this word was used and, and it was translated in different translations. It may say a different word than amazed, but that's, it's the same meaning of amazement there. And I can only find two places in the New Testament where it says Jesus was amazed by something. A lot of times people were amazed and, and stuff by what Jesus did, but I can only find two places where Jesus was amazed by something. It was this one. The other one 
is um, when the centurion came to Jesus and he said, hey, my servant's sick and he's about to die. Would you please come heal him? And Jesus said, yeah, I'll come heal him. And they start heading to the house and the centurion's like, you don't even have to come to my house. He said, I understand authority. I, under, I have men over me and I submit to their authority and I have people under me and they submit to me. I tell one to go, they go. I tell one come, they come. I get told to go, I go. All you have to do is say the word. I honor you and who you are. I honor the power of your words. And I have faith. And, and that verse, it's Luke 7, 9. And when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. This was a centurion. This wasn't even one of the Jews. And he amazed Jesus. Because he believed. Are you amazing Jesus with your lack of faith? Your lack of trust that he can work out a certain a situation? Or your lack of belief? that he can use it or that he can work all things together for good or like you feel the need that you got to try to figure it out are you amazing Jesus with your great faith remember it's okay to have small faith that's all right you know as long as it's anchored to Jesus it's okay to have small faith even as small as a mustard seed almost invisible But it's not okay to have a small Jesus. It's not okay to have a little small God. That's not going to work out for you. If you've got a giant faith and it's anchored to a little small Jesus, a little baby Jesus, it's not going to hold too much. Is he small powerful? (laughs) Small mighty? These are the jokes, people. (laughs) Being offended causes you not to see clearly. It blurs your vision. Look at Matthew 7, verse 3. And why beholdest thou the mote that is in thy brother's eye, but considerest not the beam that is in thine own eye? You say, why are you worried about everybody else and you're not even you're not checking yourself? How wilt thou say to thy brother, let me pull out the moat out of thine eye? Here, let me help you. Here, here's what you need to do, and you need to do this, and you should fix that. And he I know that it's not y'all, but you know who I'm talking about, right? How wilt I say to thy brother, let me pull out the mote out of thine eye? And behold, a beam is in thine own eye. Thou hypocrite. This is Jesus talking. A hypocrite, actor. He said, you're a fake. That's what hypocrite means. First, cast out the beam out of thine own eye. And then shalt thou see clearly to cast out the mote out of thy brother's eye. He's like, it looks kind of ridiculous when you're walking around going, Hey, it looks like you got something in your eye, man. Here, let me get it out for you. 
admit that you have a problem too. I have a problem too. We, like we all have things. And we all know people that want to point out what's wrong with everybody else but never take any responsibility and point out what everybody else needs to do. But you're not working on yourself. They fail to look at themselves. If you choose to walk around offended and take up other people's offenses, it leads to a very small life with not many relationships and not much impact. It'll lead to gossip and negativity and the bitterness of unforgiveness. And that giant will keep you from greatness every time. That giant is just as big as the giant of alcoholism or pornography or, I mean, it's an ugly giant. And it'll keep you. So what does it take? What does it take to be great? Like, I started out by asking you, what is greatness? Or what does it take to be great? I, I believe that Jesus was the greatest man to ever live. The greatest man to ever walk the earth. He was the greatest man to ever live. And as Christians, we strive to be Christ-like. We strive to look like Jesus, to act like Jesus, to do what he did. But as humans, even as Christians, we don't know Jesus as, we don't call him Jesus the Great. Right? We don't even classify him as the Great. You think of somebody we do call the Great? You ever heard of old Alexander? Alexander the Great? He lived hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Alexander the Great was the son of a king, but his legend was that he was the son of Zeus, the son of God, come to the earth to conquer the earth, a son of God. Alexander died at age 32. Jesus died at age 33. Um, if you go back and read the history books, um, remember we know in the Bible that around age 12 is when Mary and Joseph lost Jesus and they found him in the temple like preaching and sharing wisdom and stuff. And the, um, the rabbis and the priests were like amazed by his wisdom for such a young child. So at that same age, look back in the history books, this is when... Um, Alexander the Great was showing an acute ability to strategize for war. It was recorded that he was a genius who had an extraordinary level of courage and valor, destined to be the world's greatest warrior king. By the time he was 20 years old, his father died and he became king. He was the ruler of Macedonia. He was the ruler of the Macedonian and Persian Empire that grew to be the greatest empire on earth when, back then. And when he was 26 years old, he was tormented. He would cry 
tormented to tears, and he would cry because there wasn't enough to conquer. There wasn't enough world to conquer. Um, and he would get so upset because he was a student of Aristotle from the age 13. His father hired Aristotle to teach him and tutor him, and he was taught that there is life on other planets. Right? And so he was so upset because he didn't know how to get to the other planets to conquer them, to take over, to rule, and to kick the aliens' butts. Like there wasn't technology, and he'd sit around crying about it. He was thought to be the greatest leader or ruler to ever live. And the Greek Empire becomes the aspiration of all human history after him. See, we humans, we call a man that used power and violence to conquer the world that he was in, we, we call that great. Alexander the Great, because he was powerful, because he walked on anybody that got in his way. He forced his will. We call him great, but not the one that came to set the world free. The one that came to save us and bring freedom, we call Jesus of Nazareth. Let me read you this little, uh, this little story and, and we're done. This, uh, so we had uh, Alexis and Chris's wedding last night and Friday night was the rehearsal and Chris and Alexis wanted to wash each other's feet and so Alexis asked me if I would explain it to everybody, like explain why we're doing this. Because I guess, you know, some people there wouldn't know what's going on. Kind So she said, would I explain why? And I was like, yeah. And then I was like, wait, why? <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, and so I was just trying to figure out, like, should I read the scripture of where Jesus washed the disciples' feet to explain it or whatever? And I was standing over there. We were about to do it. And I asked Jesse. She was sitting there. Um, and I asked Jesse, like, should I read it? And she was like. I don't know, how long is it? And I said, it's short. And she said, would I think it's short or you're like preacher short? I was like, I, I think it's pretty short. And she was like, I'm, I guess, but I wouldn't stand up there and take too long. They don't want to hear you preaching. I was like, well, I was trying to explain it. What? So it was short. And I pulled up the, the ICB. International Children's Bible because it's real easy to understand. I read it sometimes. And so that's what I read was the Children's Bible version. And I read it and it was like smooth. But here's the cool thing that when I read it, something hit me that I hadn't really noticed when I read that story. And I'm about to show it to y'all. Um, and it was pretty cool. And then it ties into this and to the greatness and the greatness of Jesus and what greatness is supposed to look like inside of us. And I saw it when I was reading this. And I kind of wanted to go off and, and preach a little bit about it. But I remember she said, go short. And so, and it wasn't for that time or that crowd, right? So, 
So here we go. This is what got changed up. Here's the story. Just before the Passover feast, Jesus knew that the time had come to leave this world to go to the Father. Having loved his dear companions, he continued to love them right to the end. He loved them all. And I just want to point out and just remind you that Judas was in there too. And at this point, Jesus knew that Judas was going to stab him in the back and betray him, that he was a snake in the grass, right? And Jesus still ate with him. Jesus still served him. Jesus still chose to love him. That tells us he, he chose to love them right up to the end. Even if they denied him, betrayed him, stabbed him in the back. And it was supper time. The devil by now had Judas, son of Simon the Iscariot, firmly in his grip. All set for the betrayal. And Jesus knew that the father that the father had put him in complete charge of everything. Notice that. Okay, so Jesus knew that the Father had put him in complete charge of everything. Different translations word it different. I went and studied it and looked this all up and stuff. It's, it's, the idea here is that right now at the end, we're drawing close. He's about to get taken and arrested and crucified. And at this moment, Jesus knew that he was given all power. Jesus was all power. He realized that he was all God, that all power was given into his hands in this moment. The Father had put him in complete charge of everything. You know, if I put Malachi in complete charge of everything, he can do whatever he wants. Right? He can go out there and get my truck and slam it into a tree. I put him in complete charge of everything. God put Jesus in complete charge of everything. At this moment, that was it. It was all in his hands. Because Jesus had to make the choice to go to the cross. Jesus had to make this choice. So, so at this moment, he had all power. All the power in the universe. All greatness. And that he came from God. And he was on his way back to God. So he had all power and he knew where he came from and where he was headed. Sounds like every superhero movie I've ever seen. They try to find out, they find out they have powers, what their powers are. So I have now here's my power. Now here's my greatness or here's my power. And then there's usually some backstory about, well, where'd they come from or what made them like this? They got bit by a spider or, you know, they're from another planet or they're where they came from and where I'm going. Or a better way to say it would be, what's their purpose? Protect humanity, fight the, the villain. God, the greatest superhero ever. In this moment, he was given all power. And he knew where he came from. And he knew where he was going. To the cross. And then back to heaven ultimately. So. That's the part that hit me. That one word. When I read that and I realized that he was just now given all power. I made some notes in my phone. Um. That he was given all power. So, 
And I looked at it in several different translations to make sure it wasn't just the kitty Bible that threw that in there, and it wasn't. That so is a transitional word. So Jesus knew that he had all power and that he had come from God and he was going back to God. So is a transitional word. So, since Jesus knew that he had all power, this is what he did. He had all power, so he, you could say it that way. What would be your first act if you knew that you had all power? You could do anything you wanted to do. You could, she gone. Anything, right? Steak dinner, you, whatever. If you had all power in the whole universe, you were a superhero. I give you Superman's powers. Like, what would be the first thing that you would do? I mean, if I had unlimited power, I probably wouldn't create you. I'm not being mean, but I don't know if you're worth the trouble. There's seven billion of you. I would, I would create me because I would have all power. Like humans, we're kind of selfish. And if you really would get honest with yourself and think about it, if you were given all power, you might start using that power for whatever you wanted. You'd make people do what you wanted them to do, right? You, that person cuts you off in traffic? I don't know. Because we're, we're selfish as humans. I mean, why not just create a world full of minions that would do whatever you said and serve you and this free will stuff, it's kind of messy. You know, I mean, we mess, God gave us all free will and we mess up and we hurt people and there's shootings and violence and war and there's just some people that just are, I don't understand. It's all part of free will and it, and it seems kind of messy. But God created humanity that needs him knowing that they would blame him for anything that goes wrong. And that he would love us without conditions. And we would have a hard time loving him with conditions for a while. Think about it. even a marriage, if you had absolute power, it probably wouldn't be that good. Your selfishness would would come into play so I want you to look at what Jesus did he was given all power so he got up from the supper table he set aside his robe or he took off his outer garment what was he revealing the Superman costume a big S on his chest no he set aside his robe and he put on an apron and then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the feet of the disciples. Drying them with his apron. When he got to Simon Peter, Peter said, Master, you wash my feet. And Jesus answered, 
you don't understand now what I'm doing. But it'll be clear enough to you later. Peter persisted. You're not going to wash my feet ever. Forget about it, Jesus. See, this was the position to us. It doesn't mean a lot, but this is what a slave would do. You know, they walked around with sandals. They walked everywhere they went. It was a bunch of dirt roads. So their feet would be dirty, nasty, disgusting sometimes when they came into a house. So if you honored and respected someone when they came into your house, you would have a servant or a slave wash their feet. And it was a sign of honor and respect. And, and so for Jesus to do this, he was putting himself in the position of a slave to serve them, even Judas. So... Peter was like, no, you're not washing my feet ever. And Jesus said, if I don't wash you, you can't be a part of what I'm doing. Master, said Peter, not only my feet then, wash my hands and wash my head. Peter goes all in no matter what. And Jesus said, if you've had a bath in the morning, you only need your feet washed now. And you're clean from head to toe. My concern, you understand, is holiness, not hygiene. You're like, Peter, please don't miss this. I'm trying to talk to you about something a lot bigger. Don't, don't miss it. So now you're clean, but not every one of you. He knew who was to betray him. And that's why he said, not every one of you. And after he had finished washing their feet... He took his robe and he put it back on and he went back to his place at the table. Then he said, do you understand what I've done to you? You address me as teacher, master, and rightly so. And that is what I am. So if I, the master and teacher, washed your feet, you must now wash each, other, each other's feet. I've laid down a pattern for you. What I've done, you do. I'm only pointing out the obvious. A servant is not ranked above his master. An employee doesn't give orders to the employer. If you understand what I'm telling you, act like it. And live a blessed life. The picture of Jesus when he received all power when he received absolute power, what he did was served the ones around him. He used his power to serve humanity. You know, when, when he was given all power, he didn't even do any more miracles after that. What did he do? He served, and then he went to the cross. And that was the greatest miracle of all, what he needed his power for. And, and the miracle of God with all power dying. Life. The God of life can't die. So it was a miracle for Jesus to die. Maybe the biggest miracle of all. He served. So God chose to serve us 
even if we spit in his face, even if we reject him. Um, first Peter, Peter went on to write and says, first, first Peter 4.10, as every man hath received the gift, even so the gift, the greatness, there's, you have something inside of you. There's a gift. There's, there's some greatness in you. Even so, minister the same one to another. What's he saying? Use it to serve people. Whatever your gift is, use it to serve as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. So I started out by telling you that, that you can chase greatness, and you can. There's greatness inside of you. You might be talented at something. You might have something that, that you're good at, and you can chase that greatness. But you'll leave a whole trail of people behind you that you've trampled on and stepped on to get a little bit higher and to climb up that ladder, and you will spend your whole life chasing after greatness, and you will become a slave to that greatness. And the moment you stop chasing it, it'll be gone. It'll fall away, and you'll end up unhappy, not fulfilled, and have a small life with not worth it or you can choose to take the greatness to take all the power that God's given you and all the every bit of power that you have and use it to serve humanity to choose not to be offended to choose to love to choose to help your fellow man to choose to look like Jesus and not try and conquer your world but save the world or set the world free. There's a lot of people walking around with chains. And they don't have to. We can be free. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thanks for speaking to us. Thanks. Thank you for placing greatness on the inside of us. God, change the way we think about what greatness is. God, help us to love, choose not to be offended. Help us to be peacemakers. We want to look like you. God, we're sorry for getting caught up on things that don't really matter. Remind us of what really does. Thank you for life and love and hope. God, we thank you for freedom. Thank you for, for our church, New Horizon, and, and for your church that stretches all over the world. God, we thank you for this life, for breath, and all the blessings that you give us. Help us to not take one moment for granted that we would cherish it. We would seize the moment. God, we love you. In Jesus' name, amen.